Welcome back to Three Decades of Tragedy, a history of the Thirty Years' War. So, we finally reached the effective season finale of this season. The next episode, which I said last week was a debate, is going to be more along the lines of a discussion among friends. So to recap last episode, the Protestants, or the rebels, or whatever you want to call them, lost a very decisively against the Imperials at the Battle of White Mountain, and were effectively defeated and their confederation falling apart as the battle collapsed. We'll start this episode by mentioning that from the sacking of Prague, one fact to note is that Prague was actually loaded with a lot of wealth from nobility and other people who had been fleeing the Imperial Army for safety. Unfortunately, that came back to bite them because, well, look at all that money the soldiers wanted. Kind of a bad long-term decision, but, you know, you can't know how it always goes. And I believe I mentioned last time, the most of the royal baggage train and the royal family escaped Prague and a large number of the surviving rebel troops escaped, although many of the rebel troops stayed behind to grumble about pay, but the Imperial Army dispersed them and with enough threats of force to have them go to to go back to their homes. Unfortunately for the Imperials, the winter had set in, and in that year it was particularly brutal, meaning that the Imperial Army could not chase down these surviving rebels and were forced to hunker down in Prague or wherever they were in order to avoid the worst of the weather. And seeing as it was snowed earlier today where I am, it's, I can see why a brutal winter would not be fun to deal with. So, as the Confederation was collapsing for... Obviously, reasons of bad morale, but another reason they were collapsing was a lot of the moderate members of the Confederation were backing out and were rejoining the Emperor, in particular, like the Moravian Estates. They saw it was better to come out with better terms and not be looted and pillaged than to keep fighting. Also, seeing as morale wasn't great to begin with, it wasn't like they had a huge amount of loyalty. It should be noted, the overall Protestant loose union was not technically gone yet, so they were still in play. Just the confederation which made up the Kingdom of Bohemia and that sort of thing was gone. Frederick escaped to Silesia to the east, but due to his perceived Calvinist extremism and his, well, fall from grace, so to speak, he was treated a lot more cold and less welcomed. He also then fled from Silesia to Brandenburg further north to try to flee from the Imperial troops that were chasing him down. Unfortunately, him and his army leaving Silesia meant that Silesia basically had to surrender to the Saxons. That may or may not come back to bite the Protestants in the ass later, but we'll see as this podcast goes on. Around September, Bethlehem had broken his truce with the Emperor and had moved back into Upper Hungary in order to retake Pressburg and crown himself Emperor, or crown himself King. He intended to use the crown of St. Saint Stephen's, which I will find an image of in posts when this episode goes up. Most of the Cossacks that were, were under the Imperial command were under Dampier, who, if I had mentioned before, he was one of the rivals to Bethlehem, and they were protecting food supplies in Transylvania. So they were spread out and not easy to bring back into a cohesive whole at the moment. While the Imperials weren't able to put up a real organized resistance against Bethlehem, they were able to destroy bridges that connected the southern bank of the Danube to the northern bank of the Danube, meaning that Bethlehem had a much harder time crossing the river and his campaign slowed. Around October, he sent 9,000 troops to assist Frederick at White Mountain, but they arrived too late and seeing that the battle was lost and the overall chaos, they retreated back to Bethlehem for obvious reasons. The last major aftermath we're going to cover here, before I get to my opinion, is the Ottomans, who I previously mentioned were in potential agreement to send troops and support and money to the rebels, but were waffling on it previously, saw that with the rebel defeat, it was better to maintain peace with the emperor than to fight a war that could go bad for them and would just be a race of resources. Because for those of you who know anything about economics, war is expensive, no matter who it is. So a long war was expensive and the Ottomans and, and the Habsburg slash HRE had been at war for 
centuries, and they've been fighting for a long time. This rebellion also showed a weakness in Europe and Hungary in particular, because the Ottomans seized a border town on Hungary called Weizen, which they claimed to have historical claim over. The main effect of that was it showed Bethlehem was unable to defend Hungary against the Ottomans, but it also showed that internal civil wars and a lot of conflict weakened Europe against outside threats like the Ottomans. It was something that could have been a problem, but it didn't come up during the war itself. There are a lot more events that will transpire before the next faction jumps into the war, but those are more direct links, and I felt like the the battle and the aftermath of the battle were a better way to conclude this, because the next events will take place over a couple years, so you'll have to be patient till then. But now that we're done with the historical and more citation and evidence stuff, I assume some of you wish to know my opinion on what, what happened, why things happened that way, and just why the rebellion failed. So I have a... I mean, I have a bunch of listed reasons, but I'll go through them one by one. The first issue that I want to highlight is there's a lot of internal issues and ego clashing among the rebel army. The internal issues, as I mentioned before, there was a lot of disunity among them, a lot of extorting money from people. Many commanders didn't like that other commanders got promoted. It's inevitable stuff that if you see clashing in any sort of group, especially high up, it can cause a lot of problems. And yeah, there was no real sense of unity because Frederick couldn't assert central authority, which made it hard to keep cohesion among the confederation of Bohemia and, and the other states that were involved. The next one I want to mention is the lack of reliable funding. So I mentioned in episodes past that Frederick constantly had to ask for money from the estates and take money from Jewish merchants and the like. And the problem is, while that does solve short term, it doesn't necessarily create good PR or happiness because you're effectively using force to threaten to take someone's money or and or heavily taxing them, which many nobility did not like. I will state that the Imperials also had a similar problem. Like I mentioned previously, the, the Imperials, at least the HRE and Ferdinand, was about 20 million ducats. It was very, very in debt. Millions of ducats, whatever the coinage was, in debt. So it was expensive on both sides, but one side had more cohesion and could maintain it longer. Also, as I mentioned previously, troops were constantly getting shafted on their pay and weren't getting paid, which troops that aren't paying aren't going to fight at best or mutiny at worst. So, again, another major problem. The rebels were also unable to get external allies. See, when I mentioned they tried to get England to help, seeing as King James was Frederick's father-in-law, they were unable to really secure Ottoman support despite promises of it. And the Dutch tried to help, but they also had their own problems. So I'm not necessarily putting all the blame on them. Diplomacy is a complex issue no matter who does it. So to say, oh, they could have done more, depends on a lot of factors. But not getting external allies caused problems. And it's actually linked to my next issue, which was, based on my analysis, this Frederick had troubles maintaining legitimacy. Legitimacy, for those of you who don't know, is the concept of a ruling family or dynasty justifying themselves as the ruler. See, a family that's been in power for three centuries or a couple centuries is a lot easier to maintain the power even with a weak ruler, whereas a someone with no legitimacy is at risk of getting overthrown by their nobility and someone putting in their place easily. So one of the ways in medieval society and in sort of into this period what they did was military conflict was one way that you create legitimacy by winning victory, you were showing a sign from God, whatever justification you wanted to use, to show, oh, hey, look at me, I am I can maintain my power. It's a bit blunt, but military force is one way to prove, to prove your strength. 
before well, Modern War, aka World War One, sort of comes into being. And Ferdinand, on in comparison, was from a family who had been ruling the HRE for two centuries on or so. So he had no issue claiming legitimacy, despite grumbling and people didn't like him. See a whole kingdom revolted from him. But the fact is, it was easy for him to gather allies and like by having legitimacy and saying, "I'm a king of an empire, and these are rebels." The rebels were also unable to unify the Protestants. So the problem is, is, if part of your rebellion is based on religious persecution, if you cannot get other Protestants to join your cause, that is a, a blow to you. Because radicals will push away a lot of moderates. And like I said, like the Saxons, for example, were Protestants. There were many Protestants in Upper Austria that didn't join the rebels. So he couldn't use the Protestants as an internal thing or a way to attack the behind the lines of the enemy, or even use them as recruiting tools in mass numbers or as much numbers as they could have. And like I said before, if part of your reason is religious for your rebellion and you can't get all of a religion to support you or a good chunk of the religion to support you, that's not a good sign. This time period was used a version of feudalism or a patronage system in order to make a, a social hierarchy. So I got explained feudalism a long time ago, but feudalism is there's stacks of people and big person on top and the more and more people as you go down. But effectively, each sort of person brought their own troops and the men were loyal to the men who hired them. They weren't necessarily loyal to the state or the king. And that becomes a problem when your commander's bringing your own men, and if, if one of them wants to leave and they take their men, what are you going to do? They're, they're not loyal to you. Imperials also had that going on. Imperials would have men bring in their troops, see uh, Bavaria and Maximilian, bring his troops who were loyal to him, not to the emperor. But the main disadvantage for the rebels in this situation was Ferdinand was able to use this model in order to drain resources, take men from the rebels by offering pardoning and not taking away people's lands to commanders and important leaders of the rebellion to get them to leave and bring troops over or just not give their support anymore, which is a lot of damage, especially if you're trying to create legitimacy, but you're losing a lot of men due to effective bribery. A pardon is basically a, a bribe in a war in this context. So... My opinion on why the Catholics did so well was less on the fact that the Catholics were great and unified and they were well-oiled. They were better, but they didn't... I don't think they won, like, a, on skill of, on their own. It's basically their enemy was disorganized, not well put together, and had a lot of problems that were in the foundation. So when push came to shove, they would break on a big enough hit. So there's still plenty more this war to go, but for now, the Catholics faced a disorganized enemy. I guess summing up... In terms of rebels, I believe their cause had merit, especially in the religious sense of Catholic abuse of Protestants and taking away uh, Protestant rights, despite the, the previous emperor just protecting them and giving them protection. But the fact is, they lacked a unifying figure, a truly unifying figure to lead them, and they didn't have any real good long-term planning to ensure they get allies. It was planned, but they didn't necessarily think of all the steps before they did it. The, the other problem I see from a military standpoint is they did not have a well-planned out way to organize and to pay their men. I mean, that's a bit of a thing because trying to get money is hard in a really expensive war, recruiting thousands and thousands of troops, paying them, but they didn't really think that, so there's multiple times where these men would go months without pay. I'm surprised there wasn't as much desertion and mutinies, honestly. However, I will state this. The rebels, despite their disunity, did very well in the beginning and small parts of the war when they would regularly beat the Imperials in warfare and they even got to Vienna three times. 
even if they didn't have the artillery to really take the city. So that showed that they had skilled military commanders, and many of these commanders would fight under other Protestant uh, leaders who would fight against the Imperial Army. But yeah, it's not all all bad. And like I sort of implied earlier, the Imperials were better funded, they supported and, and were relatively more unified. So they're in a better position to fight this war, even if it took them a bit to get there. But don't count the Protestants out yet. The war isn't over yet. We have 27 more years to go, and there's mul- and many Protestant nations are going to jump into this before this war g- comes to an end. I just want to thank all of you who are listening to these episodes. I never expected this to grow. I grew from, like, getting 15, 15 people downloading and listening to the episode in, in the first week to about 60 or so. So... I'm, I'm just, I just, uh, I just, thank you. And I hope you keep listening in. The next proper episode, aka more historical and narrative stuff, will be later than usual because I have to make a structure for my, for the next season and then actually start making episodes and doing research and reading. So be patient for that. The next episode, I should say, will hopefully be a discussion among two of my friends, including me, about a one or two overarching topics. Just it's a more casual conversation. That's, I thought, an interesting idea, and I would love to hear your guys' feedback. And also, if any of you are interested in anything like, you know, any of you want to be, find out what other media covers this, is there movies or TV shows, if I get enough interest in that, I will gladly do a more casual episode doing coverage, maybe like... Maybe not reviews, but if you guys have interest in stuff like that, just send me a topic and I'll think about it. And as a heads up for the next season, like the beginning of this season, the beginning of the next season will be covering the lead up to Denmark. We still have a couple, we still have sort of a speed through a couple of years of this till Denmark joins in the war or create starts a war effectively, but joins into what we, what we know as a 30 years war. So this is probably going to become a common habit of the beginning of each season. We'll have a small chunk of build-up episodes, background episodes. Like one episode I'm definitely going to have to do is a bridge history of Denmark or recent bridge history of Denmark. So we get context of who they are, why they operate that way, that sort of thing. And reminder to check out my website social media and email me to contact me at 3decot at gmail.com please please review on podcasting sources and spread the word slash share on social media if, if you can once again i have a patreon if you wish to support me and i'll see you guys next time and thank you for listening in